0: Um, it's an honor to be in the Word of God with you. Genesis chapter 36 is the genealogy of Esau, which we're going to get in depth and just spend every word talking about these crazy Arabic names. Actually, we're going to skip over that chapter. I know. But Genesis is the book of genealogies. That's what it is. That's how it's broken down. That's how you find out what's going on in there, in the very beginning. It says, and this is the record of the creation of the heavens and the earth, and this is this is the lineage of Adam, this is the lineage of Noah, this is the lineage of, that's how it, the book is broken apart. And so that's why, as you keep on going in here, you'll see uh, the story. This is the lineage of Abraham, this is the lineage of Isaac, and Jacob, and then it breaks off into Ishmael and Esau, and obviously these things. It's just keeping track um, of all of the people who were connected to the people of faith, and also, the uh, obviously, the seed which is Jesus Christ coming down through the ages through these people. Uh, but Genesis chapter 36 is the genealogy of Esau, who is, uh, they, those, those descendants are known as the Edomites. You would want to know them if you were a Jew because they are your enemies. Even though they're they're your cousins, they are your enemies. Uh they would give Israel trouble and would not let them pass through the land when they're coming out of Egypt after 400 years of bondage. Remember, we're before that in our story right now. We're trying to, we're, almost, we're getting to Joseph today, which is how they get into Egypt. And then they spend another 420 years in Egypt and then they get pulled out and then they have this 40 year journey in the wilderness while the Edomites wouldn't let them cross through their land during that time. Um, Something interesting to note, just for you Bible scholars out there, Herod the Great, he was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. He was not a descendant of Jacob. And so uh, that's something to keep in mind as you're reading about the, that interaction there. Also, verse 12 of chapter 36, it says Esau would have a grandson. His name is Amalek. And we know who the descendants of Amalek are, the Amalekites, right? And those are the one of Israel's most notable enemies. Uh, ran King Saul through a lot of other things. So um, so Genesis, the book of genealogies, and these are the descendants of Esau in chapter 36. We're not going to go through it now. And so feel free to read it on your own, as I always say, for extra credit. Chapter 37, I know you wish we could go through Genesis like this. It ain't happening. But chapter 37, 25% of the book, we're entering into the story of Joseph. But notice how it starts. It says, Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed. And it says, this is the account of Jacob. But then it tells the whole story of his descendants. It's saying, that's how, again, this is how the Bible divides it. This is the story of Jacob and his kids. And it's t- talking about the 12 tribes. We finished uh, in chapter 35. At the end, it said, and Jacob came home to his father Isaac. Oh, I'm sorry, uh Chapter 35, yeah, in verse 23, it says Jacob had 12 sons. And it says the sons of Leah were Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, then Simeon and Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, remember there were four different wives there, were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's maidservant, uh, Billa, was uh, Dan and Naphtali. And the son of Leah's maidservant were Zilpha, Gad, and Asher. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. And and then we go into 36, which kind of gives you, well, what about Esau? Because he was the other son. Well, there's his descendants. And So it jumps back to the main story because the Bible is teaching us about how the nation of Israel comes together. And more importantly, it's narrowing down to the person of Jesus Christ through all these people. And so we have chapter 37 25% of the book of genesis is focused on this story particularly on joseph and i have to ask myself why why is it that uh, that's that it's focused on the, the person of joseph and his story and as i read i cannot help but see christ in almost every single verse and so while you genesis class students uh, know that i took a different slant on it we're going to take a different angle here and just see Jesus in these passages as we go through the story of Joseph and so that is the angle that I think uh, the Holy Spirit is leading us in uh, and just to see Jesus here uh, what is it 2,000 years before he's actually uh, on the earth we see his life uh, little snippets little um, little uh, almost uh, you know pre stories whatever they're called literary people help me out Vignettes, yes, all those things. Yeah, types, little types, little little glimpses. You see Joseph's life and the stories that he's going through. You'll see that parallel actually in the New Testament. Two thousand years before Jesus. And it is eerily just so similar in these situations. So let's let's uh let's continue. Um, real quickly, uh, a couple more things to note. Uh, every part of the story of Joseph, you're going to find something to do with Jesus. And so look, put on your Jesus goggles and look, look at this, this, this chapter from here on, you're going to find a prophecy, an insight, uh, something alluding to the nature of Christ. It's, it's awesome. I love this stuff. You know, Joseph and Daniel are the only people in the old Testament whose sins are not mentioned. And, uh, I, I, find that very interesting, uh, but, you know, obviously, did they send? Yes, we all have sinned and fallen short. But they are not recorded. And I think this is because it's kind of the, the Holy Spirit is alluding that he's a picture of Christ. He's not Christ. But he did live an amazing life. His story will grip your heart. I can't help but cry when I get to certain parts of it. I know it. I'm sorry. But it's just, it blows me away. Um, I would encourage you to look for Jesus as we go through. And as I... As I bring these things out, they're not going to be in chronological order. If you're trying to take the story of Joseph and paste it against the New Testament, it's all mixed up in there, but there are little pieces that you'll get. And so the types and images are awesome. Verse uh, Chapter 37 says, Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. 17-year-old boy. Almost a man, right? The sons of Billa and the sons of Zopha and his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Oh, joy. So you are the youngest, you are the favorite, and you're out there with your older brothers, all from different mothers, and... uh, you decide to go ahead and bring a, a report about them. Now, Joseph, I don't think he was malicious in his, his reporting. As I look at this and I see uh, the picture of Christ in here, I believe he was genuinely in concern in concern when he saw what was going on, whatever was going on, and he knew that his brothers were doing evil and it contradicted his father's will. He was out there on his father's behalf looking over his assets, looking over his business, looking over what he would have happen. And he saw what was going on and he was vexed in his heart and he brought it right back to his father and said, this is what's going on. And so Joseph, being in harmony with his father, he went to his father and he shared the news with him. And in this verse, we see a type of Christ. Jesus was in harmony with his father. Jesus said, I always do the things that please my father. Now we wanna go, he's a tattletale, he's, you know, he might have been all that but if we look at the type of Christ this is, this is, there's, a, there's a purity there's an innocence there's a, a truth that is in this young man that we will see God use and he, Jesus said not my will but thy father's will be done and your will be done the son does nothing of himself and other things Jesus would say could you say that about yourself I don't do what I want but only what my father asked me to do No, it's not. But this is Jesus' heart. And the same heart that is in Christ is to be in us. Lord, whatever you want. And when we see evil, what do we do about it? Oh, I don't want an ark. Don't want to expose it. Don't want to do these things. Don't want to rock the boat. But Jesus was in submission to the Father. Joseph, as a type of Jesus, is concerned with his father's flock, his father's plan. And as he's in this loving relationship with his father, obviously it's a very loving relationship. He sees something that contradicts his father's will, his plan, his desire, and he tells him about it. I don't know about the tendency of of you, but the tendency of me would be to fear man. Wouldn't it be? To fear man. And really, as we, as Joseph faces this situation, he has the, the choice. He either responds in fear to man or in fear to his father. And that fear means reverence, respect, right? Submission. He honors his father, even in his own personal pain, even if he experiences rejection, even if he experiences the torment of his brothers, which he will. And we see this in Jesus, that he did the same. We're gonna either live in the fear of man, what people think, or we're live in the fear of God. Lord, does this please you? Does this honor you? Is this something that is affecting your heart? Does this make your heart happy? Are we living in that relationship or are we living in, oh my gosh, I can't do this because this and this and this. What are people gonna think of? Or are we living in such a tight relationship with our Father that our lives flow out His will and we're in constant communication with Him? That's the ideal. That's what Jesus did. And this happens through the Holy Spirit in us. But we'll be either caught in one of those two situations. You know, what does this person or that group think about what I'm saying and how I'm saying it or the perception that it might have? Or I'm going to be concerned with my Father. Does this please you? What What I'm saying, what I'm thinking, how I'm acting, how I go about things. And I believe as we tune into the Father, the Lord takes care of all the other things. He takes care of the perception Jesus said some pretty hard things and he said some pretty gracious things. Um, it's one or the other. And so the Bible says, fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It also says the fear of man is a snare. And so uh, let's be people who fear the Lord. But Joseph concerned for his father, it outweighed his brother's evil hidden, uh, his brother's evil. Um so verse 3 says now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And that robe uh, could you know people people say a coat of many colors but it, it's really many many sections pieces and it's uh it's kind of like it's a boss's robe is what most people think. You know, if you were a worker worker you had no sleeves you had a workers vest. But if you were the boss you had long sleeves and they were able to tie up and you could put parchments in there for writing down what people did or did not do or whatever it is and so he was kind of given this this uh, symbol of authority and love here from his father and so the other sons were jealous of this relationship that joseph had with his father uh, that he was favored and you know as you think about it this would be the same as the scribes and the pharisees with jesus the favor that the father had with him, the love that he had for him, and the jealousy that they had over that situation that caused them to reject him, his brethren rejected him. He came to his own, but they accepted him not. But verse 10, when he told his father, as well as his brothers, uh, his father rebuked him and said, hey, I'm sorry, what did I do here? (laughs) Ah. Mm, What did I do? Yeah, I, I think I found that. What did I do to myself? All right, verse four, going back to the real text here. Cut and paste kills. <laughs> when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph, he had a dream. And when he told his to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. Uh, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Awesome dream for a 17-year-old to share with your older brothers. <laughs> hey, guess what? We had the sheaves, you know, the groups of wheat tied together, and they're all stacked up, mine's all tall in the middle. And guess what? all yours they all bowed down to mine. Just wanted to let you know that, brothers. Oh gosh, I can't believe that. And then he had another dream and he told his told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well, uh, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and uh, bow down? And Joseph had a... Oh God, that's what I did. I cut and pasted my mind out here. <laughs> my goodness, I am so sorry. I thought I read this. Anyways, verse 11, they were jealous. So Joseph is already in this situation where his brothers uh, were not in the best of terms with him. He's... After that bad report, Joseph gave his father concerning the evil acts they did. And then Joseph... He has the boss's coat. He's his dad's favorite so much so they don't even want to speak a kind word to him. And then Joseph, he has this dream and he shares it with his brothers that they're all going to bow down to him. And now Joseph has another dream and he shares it with his brothers and his father that they're all going to bow down to him. And at first, Jacob is upset and he says, hey, this is out of line. But then we read, then he cools off and something in him says, hey, I'd better keep this in my heart. That's a couple times in... In Scripture, we see that with Mary. She had kept those things in their heart to see if they would come true. Something about Joseph, something about his character, something about who he was said, God is going to do great things to this person. Let's wait and see what happens. Now, it could be that Joseph was dealing with pride here, but I have a sneaking suspicion as we look at him as a type of Christ that Joseph was an honest young man, that he was honest, and that he had truth and he had integrity, as we will see. How many of you like honest people? How many of you like truthful people, people with integrity? How many of you like people who flatter you? (laughs) Well, that's the thing about flattery. Yeah, true flattery whatever that is we're getting crazy here but i think Ju- i think uh, joseph he know the so- he knew the social cues i think he knew sharing this stuff with his brothers who did not like him was not going to be advantageous to him i think he knew that there would be a problem i think he knew he'd be hurt he wouldn't be received well but like jesus he spoke the truth Listen, brothers, dad, moms, you're gonna bow down to me one day. This is what God has given me and I'm sharing it with you. That's a hard message to give. That's a hard message to share because I think in our, Joseph is not a, a real, you know, he's pretty humble in some ways. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I think he's very gifted. He's sharing these things that God had given him. This truth and he shares it. And Joseph would gain nothing by sharing this information. He's not going to gain the thing by sharing this with them. He's going to get hurt. He's going to be rejected more. The same was true with Jesus. All things will bow down to him one day soon. Not a popular message, but it's true. Unless man repents and turns to God for forgiveness of sins, we're all doomed to eternal darkness. And we rely so much on how we say something these days, you know, Messaging. You know, if I'm in a loving, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm letting His Holy Spirit fill me daily. I'm free to speak. I'm free to free to share what the Lord has in my heart. And let the chips fall where they may. You know, I can't possibly please 100 people all at the same time. You will not be able to please everybody at your work and your family and all these situations. The most important thing for you to remember, church, is... Be connected to the Lord. Let His Holy Spirit fill you and let love flow out of your life. And He'll work the details out. Let the chips fall where they may. But it's impossible to please men with the gospel. Listen, friends, we are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're out there sharing a message that is unpopular with the world. It says, repent. It says, turn. It says, you're doomed. And by the way, I am too. <laughs> I'm not speaking as looking down. It's, it's, it's through the whole world. We're all in the same playing field. It says, humble yourself. Humble myself before God. And you will have eternal life. Joseph had a difficult message, but nevertheless he shared it. Even by today's standards, it comes off as prideful, doesn't it? But in them later, bowing down to Joseph, this coming true, this prophecy coming true, they would actually receive life. They would receive the health that they need. They would receive the sustenance they need in a time of great, unbearable famine. We'll read about that. But church, preach the truth in love. Don't flatter people. You know, don't don't tell them false things to gain their ear. And Because what you're really doing when we flatter people you know, is we are... We're hoping they like me. It's a self-love. You know? But if we can be those people who speak truth in the people's lives, not cutting them down, but speaking truth, that is something that is going to be salt in their lives, and it's going to encourage them, and they'll know you love them as you follow it up with your actions, right? And so Joseph had a, a difficult message You know, we're not here to get people to receive us. I have to remind myself that. We're not here to get people to receive me. You know, we don't flatter people into the kingdom. We don't coerce people into the kingdom. We love people into the kingdom. But love has truth all over it. Those two are inseparable, I think, in God's kingdom. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son jesus why because the world is dying the world is sin it's rejected god it's in rebellion and they're already under condemnation and they need to be saved that is why god's love compelled him to send jesus that's not a popular message but if we try to just say hey come to christian culture you've missed the gospel You come to the person of Jesus Christ, and the person of Jesus Christ, there's a cross. That is the door, and there's no other way in. And so while people love to hear messages that are upbeat and encouraging and, you know, hey, I'm just running with Christ today, you know, and all this type of stuff, I think there's a place for those things. But when we walk into situations in churches and we're listening to teachers or whatever it is who who don't talk about the blood, talk about the things that the disciples emphasized. When we read the scriptures and we see what they emphasized, they talked about repentance, they talked about forgiveness of sins, and they talked about how to live the Christian life. How to now walk in Christ. How to love one another. And if we walk into a church or listening teachers or, or opening books that are influences con- influencing us contrary to the truth, be careful, church. Be careful. I try to, when I teach, teach what it's saying, bring it back to Jesus because it doesn't get much deeper than that. He's, he is the, the depth. He is the milk and the meat and we need him in our messages when we share people. He is the... He is the conviction we need. He is the repentance we need. He is the love we need. And he is the strength we need. he's the forgiveness. He is all those things. So preach Jesus. Not flattering or try to manipulate people into the kingdom. Share the truth. We lack truth in our culture. But Jesus spoke this way. Just as, uh, as Joseph did. And perhaps you will experience rejection like Joseph is going to. Verse 12 says, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. What do you know? Sin City. A lot of history there and a little bit more here. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. Our minds should be picking up. What did the father do with the son? He sent them to the... Tribes of Israel, the leaders of Israel. He sent them to them who were grazing their sheep by Shechem. In the world of sin and darkness and all these types of things, he sent his son to them. God has this concern for his people hanging out near Shechem. We read about that. In sin and depravity, he sends his son to check on them, to help them out. And the son willingly goes. God the Father knows that his son is going to be in danger when he does this. His son knows he'll probably be in danger. But that love... Overrides that, and so Joseph says, "You got it, Dad. Here I am." In the King James, right? And so he said to him, "Go and see if all is well with your brothers, with the flocks, and bring the bring word back to me." And then he set him off from the Valley of Hebron. Go and see, and come back. Jesus will eventually return to his. He did eventually return to his father, as Joseph would be reunited with Israel and Jacob years later. But so the father sends his son from the valley of Hebron. Remember, uh, he sends him to Shechem. Remember what Hebron means? Fellowship. He sends him out from fellowship to Shechem, to that place of sin, out of the father's presence. And Jesus would experience that separation of fellowship on the cross where he would take our sins. He became sin for us. The things that you've done, the things that you will do were put upon him. He was separated for God. Jesus was rejected so that we might be accepted. I love that. But he was separated. So verse 14, when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, hey, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dauphin. Great, they're out of Shechem. That's an awesome situation. The only thing is that uh, Dothan means like double sickness. So they've gone from bad to worse here. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Verse 18, but they saw him in a distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Any of those words ring a bell? (laughs) Plotting to kill him, seeing him in a distance. Jesus' brethren, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, they conspired to kill him just by his very presence, his very goodness. It threatened him. It threatened him and he decided to, they decided to conspire to kill him. Verse 19, here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, who is the oldest brother, he kind of wavers back and forth here. He tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay out a hand on him. Just this partial, not a full full death, just just something that would straighten him out and and kind of mediate justice between the two. Who does that sound like? In the New Testament. Pilate, remember Pilate. He took him and he said, "Let's let's let's just flog him. Don't kill him. Don't crucify him. Let's flog him." And so they ripped him to shreds. And then they—he is unrecognizable. They bring him out and goes, "See Jesus? You don't need to do anything to him. You don't need to do anything to him. He's 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 good enough. Isn't this enough? Within one lash of." Execution, basically, kind of the same as Pilate here. And so when Joseph verse 23 came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. who was stripped of his robe? And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. And this is kind of a picture of the pit or the tomb. There was no one that had been in it before. The tomb was empty, so to speak. Verse twenty-five. And they sat down and they ate their meal, and they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. What do you see there? What did the ladies do? They wrapped him in these things. This is two thousand years before Christ, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. And after, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Hey, listen, these guys had no problem with killing people. Remember Judah? Judah in, in yeah, the, old, the guy who went in there and killed the whole city? No problem with killing people. Do you remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees remember saying, they had no problem when a woman was caught in adultery. What did they try to do? Stoner. When Jesus was doing something else, they tried to push him off a cliff and try to do it. They had no problem with killing people. But when it came to this political, legal situation to where they wanted to have their hands clean, they said, let's let the Gentiles do it. And it's interesting that that fulfills prophecy. Because Jesus was not to be killed at the hands of the Jews, although he was, and you and us, by the way. You and me, one of those things. But he was to be crucified on a cross, which is a Gentile form of execution, not Jewish. In order for that to happen, that would have to happen at the hands of Gentiles, not the Jews. Prophecy was working out. God was doing something. He was working in the midst there. Even through these, this painful situation, so they handed the duties off to the Gentiles, just like the brothers of Joseph here. So God's working, even in the midst of these detestable actions. Verse 28, we're almost done. And so when the Midianites, now the merchants, they came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Who was sold for silver? It was 30 shekels. Why is he sold for 20 and In 2,000 years before, and Joseph was sold for, I mean, and Jesus was sold for 30 shekels of silver. Inflation, that's all I'm saying. That is it. (coughs) That's it. You know, hey, I'm not a math guy, so I'll leave that up to you. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. Reuben, the oldest, was not there during this transaction. When he comes back to the empty pit, much like the guard's, on the Easter morning, he was vexed. He knew that it was, Reuben being the oldest, it was his his hide. I'm the oldest, I'm responsible. What can I do? He's in this situation. Imagine the guards waking up and going, oh my gosh, what's going on? The Pharisees going, what's, what do we do? Verse 31, then they got Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood and they took the ornate robe back To their father and said, "We found this. Examine to see whether it's your son's robe." We don't. We wouldn't know that. He recognized and said, "It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him, and Joseph has surely been torn to pieces." The brothers lied about the empty pit. They said that he had died, and made it look like a wild animal killed him. The brothers lied about their brother that they knew was alive. They lied. They created a story to cover their sin. Just like the Jewish leaders who paid the Romans in Matthew 28, guarding the tomb to tell the story that the disciples came back and took the body while they were sleeping. A lie about someone that was very much alive. Same parallels going on here. Sadly, Jacob, listen to this, Jacob is deceived by this lie. Jacob is deceived by this lie. If you remember, Jacob was deceived. He deceived his father with what? What did he put on his arm? Goat skin. And he's deceived by goat's blood. You know, the soup and the, the fur strapped on his arms. He deceived his father pretending to be his brother. And now all these years later, Jacob is deceived by his sons, by the blood of a goat then jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his sons many days and all his sons and daughters came to comfort him but he refused to be comforted no he said i will continue to mourn until i join my son in the grave and so his father uh, so his father wept for him and so in the midst of jacob's pain over the loss of his son he's unable to comprehend and this is really important jacob is in immense pain everybody listen This church has been through a lot of pain this year. Jacob was in immense pain at the loss of his son, and he's unable to comprehend that this will actually work out to be a blessing. He's unable to see it at the moment. Not only to Jacob, but to the multitudes. And brothers and sisters, know that in your deepest pain that God is working his redemptive cause. He's working it. It might not seem like it. But through this story, through this horrible situation, even through people's sins, God is working and weaving a story in spite of us and through us. It might take years for his plan to unfold in your life and through your situations, but he will do it. It might take years. You might be looking at it going, oh, my son is gone, or this situation is so dark can never be reversed. There's no redemptive, nothing redemptive out of it, redeeming out of it. God is at work. He's at work in our fellowship. He's at work in your lives. Loves you. He has not left you. And he, his plan is working through his church. I think we can delay things. I think we can frustrate the Lord and and grieve him in our daily lives and our actions and stuff like that. But nevertheless, his love for us does not change and his will for us, his desire to do wonderful things through us does not change. And so know that if you're hurting today or if you're suffering, that God will work through this, not saying that God caused that. I don't know that was the situations to that. But know that the Lord will be working something through that. He is working through it. Keep on trusting in his goodness and in time... You will see, and I will see, his redemptive purpose. You know, like Jesus, his suffering and his mistreatment at the hands of his brothers that Joseph experienced, that Jesus experienced, God was working his purpose through that suffering. And as we will read, God will be working a great work through Joseph's suffering. A great work, and it will not even not just affect him, but the people and the nations around him. If Joseph had not been thrown in the pit, he would not be in Egypt. He would not be raised up to second in command and be a blessing and to have the wisdom to do what he needed to do. You might find yourself in a pit today. Anybody feel like they're in a pit? There's only one way up, right? (laughs) Only one way to go. So, I know God is working His redemptive plan through us. And so, take heart in that as we kind of uh, we move forward with the story of Joseph next week. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for um, just being able to read these things. We see this family dynamic that it didn't wasn't created overnight. This is years in the making. Father, these brothers that you knew and you had a plan for, uh, they were wicked in their hearts. But even in their sin, what they planned to do to Joseph, in the end, you would turn out and work for good. For their lives and their families and their kids, you would show mercy upon them. Lord, Lord, we confess that we have fallen short and we fall short every day we know that but Lord we're looking forward to your grace and your mercy working in through our lives this year we pray that whatever was in 2013 Lord that it would just be buried under the tree and that we would look forward to you and what you're going to do and the, and the newness of the gospel in our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit filling this church and our families and the people that you will touch in spite of us and also through us and the families that will be changed this year and the people that will come to Jesus and never be the same the people in our families the people in our work the people that we run into just by circumstance uh, in the store Lord will you Guide our steps. Lead us by your divine providence, Lord, into those circumstances and situations where we will be a salt and light. Father, help us to speak truth and to love. Your message is clear. The world needs a savior. Every heart knows it. It's not up to us to convince or convict. It's it's the work of your Holy Spirit. Let us be that salt and light, Lord. Father, we we pray for the families who are experiencing grief in our fellowship. We pray that you would encourage them today, that your Holy Spirit would comfort them by these words, that you are with them, you are working something through this. And Lord, we pray for those who have family members far away. We ask that you would uh, continue to minister to them. Lord, we ask that you would unite this church in the gospel of Jesus Christ to a a deeper level than we've ever been in our personal walks and also as a church. Lord, you are the depth. You're what we need. So Jesus, be, be all to us this year. Father, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of forgiveness and the provision that you've given us to walk victoriously this year. And we pray, whatever we may face, Lord, that we face it in faith. We pray against the enemy and his tactics. Open our eyes to them, Lord, and have victory. In the name of Jesus, amen.